With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. Yes, and he's the best player from a continent. <laughs> but <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> a really, really big one. Um, In, he made five starts or five appearances. He gave up one run or fewer in four of them, and he got shelled in the fifth one. <laughs> we may be handing out counterfeit stuff, but we're very nice about it. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 81 where if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying hard enough. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? Not too bad, and you? Going pretty well, going pretty well. I, uh, I was worried up until about 48 hours ago that we would have no material whatsoever for this podcast. And then, kaboom. <laughs> yeah, the baseball <laughs> world definitely helped us out. <laughs> Uh, so uh, yeah, sometimes you just gotta wait for the right moment. So JD Martinez is now, however, weakly attached to the Blue Jays. Somehow, uh, there was of course the forty-man Rule Five draft deadline where the Blue Jays had to do something to set uh, their roster and protect players. We'll talk about some of the guys they did and did not protect. The Arizona Fall League has wrapped up, which means truly, uh, you're pretty much waiting for spring training here. Uh, we found out that Shohei Otane will be posted after some unusual delays. We found out that the Atlanta Braves done messed up real big. And then, of course, we have your questions. And we have, what else? We have a do-over from a Hall of Famer, which is pretty special in and of itself. And, man, I can't wait to get to that. But first... And it's not Goose Gossage. <laughs> <laughs> It's not spring training. He only he only comes out in the spring. <laughs> well, he's All a right. goose, right? He's a bird. He flies south for the winter. <laughs> exactly. We meet him in Florida. JD Martinez, uh, surely just days away from becoming a Blue Jay. Now that was it? Was it Morosi? Was it no? Heyman? It was Heyman. It was Heyman. Hey man, nice shot. Uh, I feel like if I was a national writer, I too would get bored in the off season whenever Scott Boris phoned me up. Wanted me to pump somebody's tires. J.D. Martinez to the Blue Jays. What say you? 
Okay, so if you actually read the article, the, the tie-ins were so very, very flimsy. It's like, you know, Toronto is apparently like Detroit. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> they, they could be more different as cities, but they're close together, so apparently that's what matters. And so basically all of the stuff in the article made it sound like it was something pulled out of his head mm-hmm. or somewhere else. But while I don't think there's a very good chance or even a bad chance that J.D. Martinez will come to Toronto. We don't really know what they're doing. I mean, we don't know what their budget's going to be. We don't know what their targets are going to be. And of all the players, J.D. Martinez makes a ton of sense. I do understand that. Uh, Nothing like an aging power-hitting outfielder because we haven't had enough of those around here lately. He's only 30. I mean, it's, let's 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 make sure that that's there. It's not like signing Edwin at 36 or Bautista rather at 36 or Edwin at 34. Fair, fair. Uh, but you're going to be signing him through those years. That's the expectation, right? Yeah. Um, I would have to say my 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 favorite sentence in the article was the only thing he could get from Ross Atkins was that he did not deny being interested in JD Martinez. Yeah, basically in the middle of the article, just Ross Ratton did not deny this. He didn't say anything. He had no comment. Why would you deny it? Like, what would be the point of denying that you were interested in J.D. Martinez? There would be no value to that whatsoever. Gosh. But, I mean, look, no, I'm sure that neither of us think that J.D. Martinez has come to Toronto. Not really, no. But I wanted to take this a little more to the abstract because I, I can't remember. Was it the first podcast after the season ended, I think. Well, you and I discussed what we think the team should do. Mm-hmm. I have moved off of where I was even a month ago. <laughs> you're you're uh, fluid. Your situation's fluid. What's, what's what? your... <laughs> I was thinking that, you know, in the context of everything that was still going on in the baseball season. But actually, now that we've had all this time to do nothing but reflect and look forward, <laughs> because nothing has been happening, I'm now of the mind that the Jays need to do either all in or not. Thank you. <laughs> I'm back. I'm with you. It's like they should be going for J.D. Martinez. They should be going for you, Darvish, or we're going to get to Shohei Otani later. You know, all of the this is the pool they should be playing in. If they're going to go get the Lance Lins and the Eduardo Nunez, that's just not going to be enough to make you a strong enough contender with the risks associated with this team. Could it make you a wild card contender? Yes but I don't think it's a good enough chance to be one. So I'm now, I'm with you. I think either go in or don't go at all. I think there is a, a large problem when, well, th- there were so many things last year, but essentially more than half of the league is quote unquote, a wild card contender into July. That's not what I meant, but yes. But I'm just saying when you're, when you're playing to be, you know, well, I, I think we can be a wild card contender for the whole season. I think that's a mistake right out the gate. I always have, and I, I think that's what you're agreeing with me on here is you play like you want to be a nine, like you you plan to be a ninety five win team. You spend ninety five win mm-hmm. team money. You shoot for the moon, and then if things do happen, well, then maybe you did drop yourself down into the well. We're going to have to challenge for a wild card because this guy got hurt and this guy underperformed, and you know whatever else happened. But you can't do that. You you can't get way better just magically in the middle of a season uh, as easily as things can get way worse for you. That's my thinking. So Right. Absolutely. It's more like if things go wrong than they go unbelievably right. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm with, with the idea of uh, all or nothing. Because, again, 
you, you you could stockpile for a longer period of time some young arms and some some young bodies. Um, but we'll see what they do because they still have. It's early. But they've done nothing. Yeah, uh, nobody's done anything. I mean, the, the, nothing has happened. Yeah, but you know, but and part, I just want to go a little more into this though. Part of it was thinking about the return that JD Martinez got in trade last year at the deadline. It was nothing. Dowell Lugo, who, like a guy that Jay's jettisoned to get Cliff Pennington, who was the key piece for JD Martinez. So if you're trading Donaldson at the deadline, you're probably not getting that much. Yeah, and so that's obviously not a reason. But as the Blue Jays, I get why they might go halfway in. It doesn't make sense for the long term. It doesn't necessarily make sense for the short term. But financially, if the team tanks it, if they sell off, they will lose a ton of what they have gained over the last two years. And I think that's something that Rodgers doesn't want to do. And I agree. I just think that... I think that if you put together a truly middling team, despite your best efforts to put together a slightly better than middling team, um, given everything, I think you're going to see a very similar uh, drop-off in the, the number of eyeballs on this team. I, I, I think it's not Toronto likes a decent team. Toronto likes a winner, unless it's got a Leafs on the front of its jersey, in which case Toronto doesn't care. Yeah, no, and, and I agree with that completely. But the perception of going for it. So you could sell to the fans. Hey, look, we got Nunez and Tyler Chatwood and uh, someone else. I don't even know who. You know, Jay Bruce, right? You could sell that. Absolutely. It's like, look, we got our outfielder. We got this middle infielder we needed. There's no more Ryan Goins. Actually, the fan base is probably angry about that. But <laughs> we have talk about that when, when we talk about the 40 man. Yeah, we have pitching depth again. You could sell that, and I think that would keep the money coming, and I think that's probably why we think that's the way they're going to go. Yeah, and I, I could see the, the downside of, of tanking, absolutely, and I can see the financial problems with going all in for one or two years, and then um, you, know, you find out that, no, the long-term money's not there, or you find out that um, you know the team might be on the, the, the block at some point in the future, and it's you know, yeah, you don't know how the prospective buyer is going to treat those contracts. So I can understand. I don't know how much uncertainty is in the Blue Jays' future. I'm not in the boardroom, right? So no, that can affect that it. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very good point. Well, what a we we started off with. Hey, let's get J.D. Martinez, and we ended up with nobody knows what. <laughs> this team is going. Well, that's the thing. We're not running a team, right? We're looking at this from a perspective of we don't have to worry about how corporate is going to want us to do certain things. It's just if it was us in charge and we had the money to do it or not, this is where we would go. And I think that's something people do need to keep in mind as fans is this team answers to a company. Mm -hmm. There is no Mr. Mike Illich, even if even if Edward Rogers is as big as a baseball fan as his dad was. Um, there is no Mr. Mike Illich to phone up or who will phone you and say, I want to win the World Series this year. Do whatever it takes. Right. So fundamentally different from the way a lot of the teams in baseball are, are, are run. The, the buck stops in some vice president's office somewhere. And then it has to be approved by the board. Yeah. So, so yep. T take it for what you will. That said, the Blue Jays do... Follow along the uh, regular processes, including the Rule 5 draft. And in order to uh, 
find out who they might lose in the Rule 5 draft, they get to rep- protect 40 players. And the Blue Jays, when they started the day, was it 34 players they had on the 40-man well, roster? They started at 36, and then they got rid of two. They outrighted Harold Martinez and Chris Rowley to the minors. Uh, Harold Martinez, what, what's the deal with him? Anything in particular? Well, I mean, so when the Jays got him, he was he came over with Reese McGuire in the 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 trade for Francis or with Francisco Liriano for Drew Hutchison. And he was a guy that basically was a hitter. Like he was Kevin Pillar in the sense of he just makes contact after contact after contact, but doesn't have a ton of power or necessarily speed, and he's, an, he's a corner outfielder. So he had to hit, and then he didn't hit this year. So the prospect sheen sort of came off, and they could risk. You know, well, they can outright him without worry. So it's like, okay, well, we can drop him down. No one's going to claim him in the, in the Rule 5 or anything like that. So it's like we don't need him. And Chris Alvey, same idea. Cool. So that frees up a couple slots, and then they uh, added a bunch of folks back, as well as, uh, well, how did Rob Refsnyder figure in there? Because I... I don't he was waived. Rob. He was waived. Goodbye, Rob. And he was picked yeah, up. He, by Cleveland. So, so now, that freed up another spot, but that one was taken up right away. By? You going to try and say it? Gift Ingope. Or Ingopa, depending on who's pronouncing it. But yeah. Um, who uh, is... <laughs> the people who are casual fans, by the way, who we were perhaps talking about in that, hey, who's going to come out and see these games part in the previous segment have gotten a little overly excited and or disappointed with the acquisition of gift. <laughs> they were excited. <laughs> okay. Because of his name. I don't know. I, I mean, the blue Jays account got very excited. We had highlight plays from him. We had, we had him smile at the camera. <laughs> like, please do not get people excited. Uh, he is a triple a player who has right. been one time in the major leagues for 63 plate appearances, And that was last year. He's I, the first South African ever to play in the majors. First African player to ever play in the majors, actually. Which is cool. Which means he's the, but, the best guy to ever dedicate himself to baseball and get out of Africa into the major leagues. Right. Yes, and he's the best player from a continent. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> asterisk, <laughs> <laughs> a really, really big one. Um, but you know, I think with the, the people who you know who are getting excited or who aren't, is they're both missing the point. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he is depth, he is minor league depth. He can be you wrote this in your piece, also making a point that his name is just ripe for puns. <laughs> but <laughs> he, I've gotten so guy. many faves on my he- my Twitter headline for it. Blue Jays part with cash to acquire gift. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, as I was saying, so the difference is that Ryan Goins, who, again, well, you can talk about when right I've done this, but he's out of options and has been for a while. And Darwin Barney's gone. And there are no other shortstops other than Richard Urania and the minors. So if you need a backup, not a starter, he's a guy you can call up and have him play a game every 13 days or something like that. Yeah, and there, the, the basic reality is not everybody can play shortstop. That's Right. Just the 
that it's very difficult to do at the major league level. And if you need a guy who, you know, it's just like not everybody can catch. There's always a catcher on the roster somewhere, no matter how awful. We saw that last year. It's the same with shortstops. The bonus, of course, being that the shortstop can also play second base and probably third. Which is exactly what he's going to be there for in the event of an injury of some kind. Hopefully it's an injury to the backup. And I think that's what he is. He's the backup for the backup because... Look, I mean, Atkins has been on record as saying the thing that they want, like targeting first, is an improvement at the backup infielder position just because Travis and Tulo get hurt all the time. Yeah, this guy's not that. <laughs> <laughs> his 222 average and 293 OBP. And, and no his... <laughs> power to speak of whatsoever. Yeah, he's not that. <laughs> but he's the backup for the backup, which they actually didn't really have last year. Well, they had Barney and Goins, but they ended up both starting. So. And they're gone or they can't be they can't be backups again. So it's going to happen. Indeed, he's truly a gift. Um, so we also obviously they added six other guys. Who would you like to highlight? Any that was the big surprise, Mr. Uh, Rowdy Tellez? I think so. Yeah. You know, Connor Green, Dan Jansen, Reese McGuire, Tom Panone. They were all pretty obvious. I mean, they were either locks to be taken in the rule five draft if exposed or very likely to. Mm-hmm. So it just made sense to add them. Tell us was the guy that I think a lot of people expected would not be protected. And well, it's, it's sorry, go ahead. I assume because of his lack of versatility. Well, that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, if you told me before the season that tell was going to be potentially not protected in the rule five, I would have been like, come on. I mean, people were talking about wanting him to replace Justin smoke in March. <laughs> Because <laughs> well, as a 21-year-old, he had a really, really good season in double-A, and that's pretty young for double-A. Mm-hmm. So he was looked at as maybe not a top prospect, but a guy. And then he sucked. He was, he was terrible this year in triple-A. Ah, uh, yes. Youth and power hitting and moving up a league. Just a horrible combination of things that can happen to a player. Yeah, and... Because of the fact that he's a first baseman who's not even a good defensive first baseman who had a weak year in AAA, it was hard, I guess, to imagine some team wanting to keep that on their roster all year. But the Blue Jays think there's more there then. That's that's our conclusion. And that there's a chance that someone like the Padres or something would just take him and say, what the heck, maybe. Indeed. So I would remind people that our Rule 5 pick two years ago was Joe Biagini, presumably because someone on the Giants was super annoyed by Joe Biagini. <laughs> I don't I know. That joke every time you tell it. He seemed to have a lot of good things going for him from a, from a prospecty standpoint. So I don't know. Like, watching the Giants play last year, you wouldn't think there were a lot of prospects waiting to bust the door down. Um, just a yeah. guess. <laughs> so Biagini might have been useful to them. Uh, and then last year's pick was Glenn Sparkman, who was injured and then also no good, as I recall. Yep. So Rule 5 is really a weird lottery in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and, and especially if you're picking later, sometimes usually there's one or two guys that just got stuck in a roster crunch, and there was just no room for that team to add them. Mm-hmm. And they're a guy that could be something interesting. You know, like Odebel Herrera in 
Philly was a Rule 5 pick. And I think that Ender Inciarte was also a Rule 5 pick. I, sometimes these guys, they just there's no room for the team. But usually it's not a good chance you're going to get value. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, if there's only one or two guys or maybe three or four guys, well, by, by the time you get to later rounds, it's kind of a a real shoulder shrug. Mm-hmm. However, especially since you have to leave them on your major league roster pardon me, for, for the entire season. But that's yeah. a heck of a gamble, right? That's that's the, the premise that you're going in with. And that's always why you get the, like I said, the Padres, right? Some team that just, they're bad. And there's no hope of them contending. They'll take, last year the Padres kept three Rule 5 guys. One, that guy, they, they pulled that guy from rookie ball and stuck him in the majors. Ah, uh, the Padres. But it, it makes sense for them. It's like, well, now they can send them to the minors and just develop them properly. But what's the difference between that and having them get injured? Mm-hmm. What, so, that, yeah, the year that you have there doesn't matter to the Padres. Right, exactly. So that's the risk is that, is that they'll take a guy with the upside and not care if he sucks because they can just send him to the minors the year after and then work on him there. Let's talk about more minor leaguers. Let's talk about the Arizona Fall League wrapping up. Yeah, well, man, it's actually a good segue, too, because part of the Arizona Fall League, there's two things. There's one to give your prospects a little more time against some other top guys, which we discussed before. But the other is to evaluate rule five guys. Makes sense. A little more time to see them playing against better competition. And that's why Max Pentecost ain't making the cut or didn't make the cut. Because he sucked. He was terrible in the the Arizona Fall League. Oh... I, I always feel bad when we use words like terrible and awful and and sucked. Can't do that and couldn't play and yet obviously relatively speaking to be to be 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope that anybody listening to this podcast is listening to it in that context. Yeah, you know, we don't think this guy is a bad baseball player or that guy. We just think they're bad relative to you know the best players in the world in this case max pentecost i think is pretty good or will be good he just was bad in the arizona fall league which might have actually been beneficial for the blue jays i i absolutely think it was i, I think that's very lucky for them that a team probably won't take him now and that gives them another year of him in double a to see if he's really developed i always wondered should pentecost have been a five tool player given his last name <laughs> random thoughts okay those are the kind of things that kept me out of the good school so pentecost was no good was anybody good was our friend yeah. tj zoik good he was he, and he made five starts or five appearances he gave up one run or fewer in four of them and he got shelled in the fifth one <laughs> well and he actually started the final but he was he was very good and People who watched him said that they came away very impressed, and he does look like a number three starter type, which that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you certainly didn't hurt his stock there. No, if if anything, he helped it because his season was shortened by injury, and people wanted to see him go and perform, and, you know, 15 strikeouts to four walks. He did a good job. Very nice. Who else was out there? So another guy that was on that Rule 5 bubble and did not get protected was Andrew Case. He's a... A guy who put up really good numbers in the minor leagues in AA this year, but he doesn't have the stuff, he's a reliever. In the fall league, 10 innings pitched, no runs. All in relief. Sweet. Pretty good, but six strikeouts, one walk. So he's a command guy, and those guys don't usually get claimed. And then, of course, there's the guys that everyone wanted to talk about from the Blue Jays. Lourdes Gurriel was 
you know, he's the guy that everyone is really curious about. He's supposed to be the guy that becomes their next Marwin Gonzalez or Ben Zobrist or something. He did pretty well. He hit 291 with a 309 on base. So he only walked once, but he slugged 494. Which I think was a little unexpected from him in terms of, of where that power was coming from, from my understanding. Yeah, there have been some mixed reports on that, but apparently he was driving the ball. Even when he was making outs, he was hitting the ball very hard. And that's pretty encouraging. You want guys who hit the ball hard because we've seen enough of these guys who don't. Like the Jays, especially in the Jays outfield. Last year, the power wasn't really there. No. No, when you I mean when Ezekiel Carrera appears to be your most solid, consistent hitter. It's yeah. weird. It's not what you want to see. As much as it was a good year for Ezekiel. Uh yeah, and I think uh, obviously the Guriel family name is is you know, has gotten him to a certain point, but you you want to see what you've really got mm-hmm. other than a very famous Cuban family who all play baseball. <laughs> yeah. Are we out of players? Yeah, so we got one more, don't we? Yeah, there Jonathan Davis was there as well. He he did well, 295 on base, or batting average, 389 on base, 410 slugging. He's, you know, he's very fast, stole seven bases. He's a guy that could be a potential fourth outfielder down the road, so it's good to see him doing well. He's a little older. He's 25 almost, but, you know, who knows, right? Some of these guys bloom late. Yeah, like Ryan Goins. He's going to break out next year when he's with another team. I'm sure of it. I'm surprised it took you this long to finally get to him. <laughs> he's got to be gone now. I mean, he has to. Well. I, I don't even know why he was here last year. He's well, I mean, he and Darwin Barney were both here last year. But <laughs> if, if there really are going to go and get a better middle infielder, Ryan Goins has to go. There just won't be room on the roster for him. I agree. Do I, do I need to agree more, more vehemently? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, he'll be... Totally extra part if if anything goes right in this offseason. And again, he's out of options. It's it's not like you can just bounce him around anymore. And some team will claim him. He has value to a team that has infielders that don't get hurt all the time. Yeah, because he, he will not be exposed that way. And he technically bats left-handed, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because people are going to claim him for his platoon splits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How the mighty have fallen. Um, do you remember that one month where he realized that if he didn't swing, he got on base a whole lot? In 2015? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. We, we talked about J.D. Martinez. Should I move to the other big target that the Jays are obviously hoping for involvement with? Sure. Shohei Otani. Now, he was... He was he, probably not going to be posted and then he probably was going to be posted and then the posting rules were going to change but then the posting rules are going to be the old posting rules but then they're going to change i'm so confused what happened so the funny so the funny thing about all of this this big holdup with the players union was never about shohei otani it was never even about this year they had already agreed to extend the rules for this year for one more year so that's pretty simple so he can post right so shohei otani and and Kazuhisa Makita, who also wants to come over, uh, they were going to come over with the maximum posting set by the team of $20 million. Okay. But the reason that this was not happening, because part of the agreement to extend this year was to ratify a deal going forward. 
And they couldn't come to any kind of agreement on that until about 20 minutes before we recorded this podcast. So this year's deal, which was already agreed upon, except for the one clause, which was contingent on next year having a deal that was already agreed upon? Pretty much. Basically, the continuation of the old rules for this year was going to be part of the new deal. Because there was no deal in place. That's basically what it came down to. There has to be a deal in place in order for him to come over. I feel like I should have been a lawyer and I could have made a lot more money (laughs) than whatever I'm doing (laughs) right now. Okay, so they agreed. Do we know what they agreed for next year? As in, like, what are the deals going forward? Yeah. Well, basically, the issues were... Not the posting fee. The posting fee going forward is going to be a percentage of the contract, which actually makes a lot of sense. Indeed. But so then the the sticking points there, the Japanese teams wanted the right to pull their players back. Hmm. Because if, if, you know, say you send a guy out and he gets an offer of the best offer, he gets his 9 million bucks. Well, then they at 20%, they're getting 1.8 million for their player. And that just doesn't make sense. But the real worry they had was that teams would negotiate cheap short team, short term deals and then give them a long extension. Right. So they shaft the Japanese team, but not the player. And the Japanese team is holding nothing. Correct. Sort of don't blame the Japanese teams when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, for from you can see why the MLBPA would not be okay with that because they don't want the holdup and the problems of like guys signing through deals and it affecting the market and then the deal getting revoked and then everything goes a haywire, right? Oh, absolutely. I see both sides of that. Totally. And the other one was the timing of posting. They, the MLBPA wanted from November 1st to 15th to be the only time a team could post a player. Because as we've seen this year, the market gets held up when these guys It's like, will they come, will they not? Mm-hmm. And so the, now there's a, they ended up agreeing to a deadline of December 5th. But it's still, eventually they sort of came to agreement on this. But you could see why, despite the fact that they already agreed for what's happening this year, that they were having trouble going forward. So Shohei Otani's team will get $20 million from somebody. Yeah. The Nippon Ham Fighters will get $20 million from whichever team signs Shohei Otani for, you know, $2 million or whatever. Right. That's the other thing, is Otani is not going to come into this thing like you, Darvish. He's going to get paid less. Like, is he getting major league minimum or is he getting... He gets the minimum. Like, when he's in the league, he'll get the major league minimum. That's madness. It is madness. And I've ranted about this a couple times on Twitter, too. Even if he ends up with the Blue Jays, which I'm not going to handicap this at all because we have no idea what he's thinking. And everyone's saying, oh, this team has got $250,000 of extra bonus money. The guy's giving up $200 million. Does that $250,000 really matter? We don't know. But... I don't like it. I don't like this idea that some team gets this massive shot in the arm to get this potential superstar level talent who, even if he's just a pitcher for the league minimum and you know, that that's franchise altering and it kind of goes against the whole concept of competitive balance. Even if the Jays get him, I'll be thrilled, but it'll still annoy me that this was allowed to happen. And it is very weird that it's like he gets to draft a team sort of. Like yeah, they, and you know what? That's probably the way it should be. 
on some level, like, well, no, no, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the idea that he should get to pick where he goes, I think everyone agrees with that. He's choosing to come over here to play as opposed to playing where he was. He should Fair. get to choose where he goes. But then he but can't we, name his price to do that. And that's the big problem. And then, and then because <laughs> that? of that, you end up with the situation where he's just becoming this super, super boost to one team, which should not ever have been in the system. Yeah, and there's there's no th- that team is paying a, a very very minimal price to all they had to do was be the place he wanted to be. They're paying exactly what anybody else would pay. They they don't have to pay any premium at all to get him on. Yeah, it's just weird. It, and I I want to mention this too. I, like I said, I'm not going to handicap it. I have no idea what he wants. But a system like this created a situation where it it's more likely that the average person will go to the teams that are already good. If mm-hmm. all the teams can offer you the same amount of money in general, and most people want to win. So all you're likely doing, not definitely, like I said, is creating a situation where the best teams get better. And I don't know how anyone thought that was okay when everybody knew he wanted to come over. Yeah, I, I feel like we're missing some step in that whole process. I think they missed the step. <laughs> uh, possible. You know, you get lawyers involved. Uh, I'm just going to segue then with lawyers involved to the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> Oof. Who probably could use a lawyer at this point because starting in 20, whoops, 2015, 2016, they started gaming the international bonus pool system with some international agents and it all came crashing down today in a number of penalties. I would I would have to say, compared to what the hacking penalty was, uh, this just blows that out of the water for, for breaking Major League rules. It does, and it doesn't at the same time. So here's the thing. The hacking penalty... Right. If you look at it, they lost their first two picks and was it five million or two million? I can't remember. It was a lot of money. Yeah. But if you take that alone to just what was the punish to the team, not the players involved, because the Cardinals hacking didn't gain them any extra players. In this case, the moves created direct signings, which so they were all canceled. Mm-hmm. But so if you just look at it on that level. So they got they lose money in their signing bonuses like they can't sign certain players in a period and they lost a third round pick i'd say that's pretty equivalent to what happened to the cardinals uh, fair but also basically the, the, the atlanta braves had three years worth of international signing bonus players effectively erased from their history it's not like they can go back and sign lesser players from those periods to restock their farm system but, I'm not so, saying they should the, be able to. I'm just saying that that's the kind but, of penalty. That... Because they never should have been able to sign them in the first place. That That's what, what this was all about. They So in 2015-2016, the Braves made these deals that you're talking about where they gained the system in order to stay under the international bonus limit so that they could sign players the following year. Because, like, for example, when the Jays signed Vlad Jr., they couldn't sign anybody over 300000 the following year, which was last year. Mm-hmm. So the Braves did this Basically, what should have happened, with the amount of money they really paid these players, they should not have been able to sign anybody the following year for over 300000 And then they signed a whole whack of them for over a million bucks. Mm-hmm. So 
basically the idea of making them be free agents again is that they never should have been allowed to sign them in the first place. So I don't actually think that's egregious. Well, the <clears throat> when I read the statement, I could be wrong. The 2015-2016 players, the first batch, mm -hmm. could have been signed for what they should have been signed for and been in the Brave system without incurring any penalties in that first year. You with me so far? Yep. So in the alternate timeline, yes, th there's really no reason for the 2016-2017 players and beyond to be in the Braves system whatsoever. But that first batch of players is what they're really sacrificing. That's the penalty. Because they could have had those players, legitimately. Were those players all released as well? I believe they were. I believe they were the first nine of the 12. But I have to go back and read the statement. Now that you've brought up this. <laughs> I believe they were, because they were the first evidence of cheating. Because they were not, in fact, signed for those amounts. Well, they, they were paid those amounts through the agents, through some shell gaming of signing other players who weren't, shouldn't have gotten bonuses in the first place. And it did all add up to what they should but have you gotten. Know and you know what? I'm fine with that, too. That They already set precedent for that with the Red Sox two years ago. The Red Sox did exactly that. They signed a bunch of players for more money than they were supposed to by pooling, by pooling the you know, money with other lesser prospects. And, the Red Sox, and they just made them all free agents. So they kind of had to follow that precedent to do that with the, with the Braves here. So, I, again, I, I think that all the lost players actually make sense. Yeah, I'm just saying it, 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 it's... It's not a bad heavy-handed, but it's very much a, a, a heavy-duty punishment. Like, this is not a slap on the wrist. Right, yeah. It's This is basically saying, like, to the rest of the league, don't ever do this again. Well, yeah. I mean, th these rules were, were designed very carefully to try and balance things out because the international, unlike the draft, the international prospect pool is a little bit of a wild west, and it's not supposed to be. Right, and I think Rob Silver... Uh, you know, most people know who he is, Blue Jays fans on Twitter, but yeah, he, he's well known far, far more than you and me. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not hard to do. <laughs> no, it's really not. He made this point that, especially right now, given what we were just talking about before this, if you don't show that cheating in the international game is really, really going to hurt you, why would any team follow the rules with Shohei Otani? Perfectly sensible. And as you said, Shohei Otane is the big shot in the arm for somebody. And he is going to be for somebody. Right. So the temptation is huge. Mm hmm And so if, if this doesn't happen, if they just say, oh, we're going to take a couple draft picks or we're going to, you know, we're going to limit your international bonus pool, what player, what GM isn't going to risk that to get Shohei Otani? Yeah, because you might not get caught. And even if you do, who cares? Yeah. But instead, they released all the players, and now Coppola is banned for life from baseball. That's a sentence you don't hear very often in baseball. And when you do, you immediately know the names associated with it, right? The banned for life. Yeah, the Black Sox, Pete Rose, yep. Steve Howell, like six times. Well, yeah, that was a different time of, of lifetime bans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was really, really heavy, and you know what? It's kind of people talk about this too. It's like this idea. It's like everyone is kind of screwing over these kids. So the league is getting mad for some people screwing them over in a different way than the other people. 
but there's a but there's a system. There's a set of rules that exist, and they went way outside them. So they got what was coming to them. Yeah, I mean, and maybe they're 15, 16 year old kids, and they don't understand why their agent is doing this or doing that. But they were already getting screwed. They just didn't know it. Right. And and I think it's worth making very clear too. They're all keeping their money. Mm -hmm. So, and and they're all entitled. None of the none of the players got banned from anything. Right. And they're all back out in free agent pool. And I think it's up until January fifteenth. Teams can sign them for a certain amount. Anything over two hundred thousand dollars that they pay will count against their own pools. So a team can sign them for three hundred thousand and only counts for one hundred thousand. And they can borrow from next year's pool to do it, which I thought was very interesting. Which I think is to reflect the fact that none of the teams were anticipating these twelve players right. suddenly appearing in the pool, which which seems fair. Uh, and then yeah. on, on top of that, of course, the exception to all of those things you just said is the Braves, who can resign them, but not until May first. <laughs> yeah, just to make it uh, absolutely clear who's at fault here, <laughs> it would be the Braves. <laughs> It would be really funny, though, if they just all resign with the Braves anyway. We like it here. They treated us nice. <laughs> they gave us more money than they said they were going to. <laughs> so, yeah, just be happy that the Blue Jays were nowhere near this because they are a very active international team. And we were all we're all always kind of curious when there's this huge, long wait for the international signing period to begin and then within 24 hours, magically contracts are signed with multiple people from the same agent. And yep. voila. Which I believe happened with Lyde Guerrero Jr., did it not? That's what was said in our little group chat today, so don't <laughs> don't look <laughs> at that too far. <laughs> uh, nothing happened yet. We shall see. But so, just, uh, well, but just quickly before we leave this, a funny tweet from Tao of Steve on this. Yep. So barely two weeks on the job, and Alex Anthopoulos is down a dozen prospects. The man doesn't miss a beat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I said this prior to the podcast, did I not? When we were talking about Alex Anthopoulos walking into a job, surely that must have been part of the interview process. <laughs> yeah, he knew this was coming, but it's still the the tweet was still funny. All right. Uh, given all of that stuff, I think we're going to take a little break, a breather, and then we're going to come back with uh, your questions. And of course, a do-over from a Hall of Famer who is, as we noted before, not Goose Gossage. Amazingly. We'll be right back. And after that little breather, we have returned. And of course thing that you really want us to do is uh, answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Yes, we have a few. We have a few indeed. Uh, we shall start with Kate Stanwick. At... I'll read You want to read that yeah. for me? Okay. Yeah, at OK Stan. What would you give Jose Bautista as a wedding gift? For those who don't know, Jose... Very clever Twitter handle. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, 
But uh, Jose Bautista was just married at the end of the season. There are pictures everywhere. Marcus Stroman was there. Danny Valencia. That's an odd duo, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What would I give Jose Bautista as a wedding gift? I would give him something that I think he would treasure forever. I would give him the 2011 American League MVP award. Which clearly he deserved. (laughs) Did not get. Yeah, Yeah, he did. Uh, what would you get him? I'd get him a nice big banner on the level of excellence. We are a generous pair, are we not? We are. <laughs> <laughs> we may be handing out counterfeit stuff, but we're very nice about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just go up there with a paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Break it in the off season. Who is that up there? Why two <laughs> cans of paint? Yeah. Just make sure you spell Bautista correctly. Uh, Luke J bats forever at split letters asks this week, what non flashy deal would you like to see the Jays make this off season? So this goes against everything we were saying in the first part where we want them either go flash or not. Well, but presume that somewhere in that mix, if you're, if you're loading up, what would be a not flashy deal to fill somewhere about something back in? Yeah, I think for me, it would be trade for either Cesar Hernandez from the Phillies or Jordy Mercer from the Pirates. If this is the non-flashy part where you're getting the backup middle infielder, both those guys are starters. And let's face it, if you're the backup middle infielder for the Blue Jays, you're a starter. We are so cruel. The truth is cruel too, <laughs> though, so that that's fair. Uh, right. I heard Addison Reed is available. Ooh, yeah, he's a free agent. So that to me is a not particularly splashy. I think Addison Reed's setup man would be a nice deal. And we yeah. would show some commitment to, you know, a quality bullpen. Yeah, and both of these deals would be fine in the context of getting really good players elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So there's two random deals for you. Our last question. And this is from Ev the Rev. Ev the Rev 77 or 777, a new question asker. Props again to Strowman on the gold glove, which I don't think we actually mentioned because last time our podcast was all about Roy Halladay. So, yes, congratulations to Marcus Strowman on winning the gold glove award. Which day do you think will be the next to win one? Pilar? Question mark. <laughs> someone from the current roster or someone from the minors? I do not think Kevin Pilar will ever win a gold glove unless they something pushes him to a corner outfield position. Yeah, I'm with you. As With Byron Buxton and Kevin Kiermaier in the American League, it's just, I think it's way too hard because they're just way too good. As they used to say on Mythbusters, well, there's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much that Kevin Pilar is not good. Not disputing that at all. I think he's very good. I think these guys are better. And yeah. if one of them is hurt, chances are the other one is still going to be great, um, which is problematic. Uh, so that leaves us with not very many players. I think Josh Donaldson could win a gold glove if he mm-hmm. has another MVP-style year. I think that's possible. And I think Russell Martin could potentially win a gold glove if he could stay on the field for 140 games. Uh, and start throwing runners out again. I'm going to go off the board. Please do. I mean, because it's something they asked or someone from their minors. Mm. Anthony Alford. Ooh. I, I think he's a center fielder, and he's a pretty good one. If he comes up as a corner outfielder, I think you could see him contend for a gold glove. Do you think second baseman Bo Bichette could win a gold glove, having never seen him play an inning? <laughs> <laughs> I think you answered the question with the question. <laughs> uh, well, you know, 
He's he's playing shortstop right now, and apparently he is a uh, not exactly a gifted shortstop, although not uh, although he is a competent one, from what I've read. Yeah, the issue seems to be more that they think he's going to be too big for the position. It says the team playing Troy Tulowitzki at the moment. And he's the tallest shortstop ever. I mean, you're talking about an extreme outlier. I love outliers. They win championships. They do. All right. We're going to go to the do-over. <laughs> I say the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Okay. This do-over is regarding a letter which Joe Morgan sent on behalf of Hall of Famers as an agent of the Hall of Fame to baseball writers who vote on such things. A letter which, in many ways, discouraged anyone who was a writer and a voter from voting for people who had been involved with performance-enhancing drugs. There are so many things wrong with that, I don't know where to start. Do you want to try? I will try. First of all, what the heck is wrong with a museum that would like you to focus almost entirely on the people who aren't in it every time we talk about it? (laughs) How is that... Who does that draw? What audience goes, man, I got to get my butt down to Cooperstown. There is hardly going to be anybody I recognize there in the next three or four years. That's a very good question. Nobody is going to see Rabbit Marinville. Uh, Um, Excuse me. (laughs) One person. (laughs) (laughs) Nice poll, though. Good one. Um, I could have done Pee Wee Reese as well, though I might actually no, go. No, no, Rabbit Marinville is a better one. I like that. <laughs> so I am just so confused by that as as the opener. Second of all, um, for a museum concerned with the game's history, which is in a place that the game was not actually invented um, by a guy who, who lived there who didn't actually invent it. Like we already know, you're making this up, but you need to continue to make things up. The idea that somehow players in the past did not take the opportunity to cheat. Where did that idea come from? The dreams of the people who played them? <laughs> I mean, there, there's no argument for that. It's just an open secret to the point where it's not a secret that they all were popping greenies and amphetamines, you know, taking speed the coffee that there was spiked like don't drink that one reporters that was just the way it was and there's no one who could argue that that's not performance enhancing and it was just as illegal and the history of the game goes back further and further and further with guys who are enshrined in that building already who did really really Lousy thing. Yes, if you gambled, you got thrown out of the sport. However, why are th- why are there four umpires, Josh? I tweeted this earlier today. I, I saw your tweet, so I won't spoil it for you. Because guys would do things 
that one umpire could not watch. Guys would cut from first base to third base. Guys would hold the belt of another player. Uh, guys would hide balls in the outfield and throw those in when they couldn't find the real one. Um, the, the idea that there was some time in the history of baseball where people played fair and above board and with great sportsmanship is garbage. Mm-hmm. So why does the Hall of Fame think that that's important? Um, now, the other crazy part about this is, this is the quote from Joe Morgan here. Um, he says it's a tricky issue. He says it's shades of gray. But the quote, it still occurs to me that anyone who took body-altering chemicals in a deliberate effort to cheat the game we love, not to mention that they cheated current and former players and fans too, doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Body-altering chemicals. <laughs> is cocaine a body altering chemical I assume it is we had a problem with that in the sport but those guys seem to make the hall of fame and I have no problem with it like you mentioned greenies and amphetamines the same one and the same that was Joe Morgan's clubhouse in the 70s that it was, was every clubhouse in the 70s that was the big red machine among others and, obviously and here, here's the other thing here's the big myth that steroids first started popping up in like the mid 80s when Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were hitting the huge home runs. Tom House pitched in the 70s and openly admitted they were taking all kinds of steroids. They didn't even know what the hell they were taking in terms of the things that they had for horses. They were all doing roids back then. We just didn't know about it. So here is the very last that's all absolutely correct so here's what we come right down to we get a letter from a representative from a hall of fame email address that's very important i'm glad you mentioned that so from the voice of the hall of fame saying please do not vote for performance enhancing drug involved players so i ask you the final question that makes no sense to me why are their names on the ballot Maybe this is the question we came up with last year. The Hall of Fame decides who's on the ballot. They but get they, to pick. They, they pick them, and then they told you not to vote for them. Right, which makes no sense. If they didn't want you to vote for them, they shouldn't be on the ballot, like Pete Rose. Pretty simple. Unless... <laughs> it's really simple. <laughs> like, and yet, here we are. I love this game, and I love the idea of forever remembering the greatest players who played it. Mm -hmm. Because I think guys like Roy Halladay deserve more than a stat line in a book or on a website somewhere. And I am beginning to hate the place that is responsible for those remembrances. Yeah, and you're not alone there. I mean, that's becoming the common theme. People hate the Hall of Fame. And if that's what you're, the consequence of your actions, doesn't that tell you that you're doing something wrong? Also, the Hall of Fame just very quietly announced that last year when they said that they were going to release the names associated with all of the votes, they decided not to do that. Yeah, the writers voted overwhelmingly as a 90% or something to make that the case. And the Hall's like, no, forget it. So the people doing the voting are okay with their votes being out there and think that that would be a much better way to vote, including guys, many of whom 
haven't you know been in, in the the active baseball media for years but the hall knows better just like when they recommended increasing the ballot from 10 to 12 no no sorry hall knows better <laughs> the hall knows that it costs money to add square footage <laughs> there's simply not that in the budget that's right they keep the cost down that's all that's all it is. All, all of this is just a smoke screen. They're like, look, guys, we're out of room. We can't add any more players. We don't <laughs> That would be really funny if we found out through some like released memos. Four players max, and then we're out of space. <laughs> all right. So ultimately the do-over here. I don't I don't know if we could confine it to Joe Morgan. Um let's do the Hall of Fame. Yeah, let's do the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Fame. If you would just simply, is it possible for them to butt out of their own process and just let the writers elect people who they think are worthy at whatever rate the writers think is appropriate? Would that be such a bad thing? Apparently it's an impossible thing. (laughs) And then we would have to talk about it again because it would just sort of take care of itself. So that's the do-over. You represent Cooperstown. Just let people, let people... Decide for you, and you just administrate it. Don't try and make these decisions, because you have no idea what you're doing, clearly. And on that, uh, I think that nearly wraps up our podcast. But first, most importantly, as we are on Patreon, which again, www.patreon.com slash turfpod will get you there. Um, And for those of you who are patrons, you have access to Josh and I desperately attempting to call an inning of the 1993 <laughs> World Series. Um, you can go check that out with your donation. Uh, we have a new patron uh, at our one of our levels that gets a thank you. So thank you, Ahmed El Etribi. We really appreciate you coming on board as a patron. And uh, we hope you'll be with us for a long time. We hope you enjoy the show. And to the rest of you, I would have to say that uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 81. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks or something magnificent happens. So in a couple weeks. Pretty much. Take care.